Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. Before we slip into darkness today, I just want to take a moment to say congratulations to the state of Georgia. You took the ball, you dodged obstacles, and you scored. And it's plays like that that will allow us to write new rules. Because it always seems like we are on the defense trying to protect our young men's lives from the hands of the police. I say this because at the same time we get two new senators in Georgia. Police are omitted from prosecution from shooting a young man in the back seven times with his three children in the car. The rules have got to change. That means people of color must go on the offense and our huddle is Washington, D.C. You would think that if an officer doesn't turn his body camera on, he should be automatically fired. You would think anyone could be stopped with a shot to the knee or to the thigh from a nine millimeter. You would think anyone that is shot and killed that hasn't pulled a firearm on you would be caused for that policeman to be fired. Shooting and killing someone that has a knife and is 10 feet from you is ludicrous. You would think that this country would not allow the Gestapo tactics of the police union to exist. So these rules have got to be changed. So you beautiful sisters that have came to the forefront of this political game, like Vice President Harris, the ball is in your hands. Make it happen. Just remember, you are standing on the shoulders of some beautiful black women that came before you, that passed you the baton and are watching and praying that you finish the race that they started. One such woman was Ida B. Wells. So let's slip into darkness and gain some knowledge about Ida. Ida B. Wells was an African-American journalist and activist who led an anti-lynching crusade in the United States in the 1890s. She was born and enslaved in Holly Springs, Mississippi, 
on July 16, 1862, and she was the oldest daughter of James and Lizzie Wells. The Wells family, as well as the rest of the enslaved people of the Confederate States, were decreed free by the Union thanks to the Emancipation Proclamation about six months after Ida's birth. But living in Mississippi as African Americans, they faced all kind of racial prejudices and were restricted by discriminatory rules and practices. Her parents were active in the Republican Party during Reconstruction. Her father, James, was involved with the Freedmen's Aid Society and helped start Shaw University, a school for newly freed enslaved people, now Rust College, and served on the first board of trustees. Ida received her early schooling at Shaw University, but unfortunately, tragedy struck her family, and both her parents and one of her siblings died in a yellow fever outbreak, leaving Ida to care for her other siblings. So she had to drop out of school, but she convinced the nearby country school administrator that she was 18 and landed a job as a teacher. Wow, friends, that's really taking on an adult responsibility at a young age. But in 1882, Wells moved with her sisters to Memphis, Tennessee, to live with an aunt. And for a time, she continued her education at Fisk University in Nashville. This is when Ida began to write. She wrote about issues of race and politics in the South, and a number of her articles were published in black newspapers and periodicals under the moniker of Iola. Wells eventually became the owner of the Memphis Free Speech. Wells reached a personal turning point that resulted in her activism. After a crazy train ride from Memphis to Nashville in May 1884, you see, she had purchased a first-class train ticket, and she became outraged when the train crew ordered her to move to the car for African Americans, and she refused, and she was forcibly removed from the train. But she bit one of the men on the hand and later sued the railroad, winning a $500 settlement in a circuit court case. The decision was later overturned by the Tennessee Supreme Court. This was an injustice that led Wells to pick up a pen and start to write. You see, while Wells was working as a journalist and publisher, 
Wells also held a position as a teacher in a segregated public school in Memphis. She became a voice critic of the conditions of black-only schools in the city, and in 1891, she was fired from her job for these attacks. She also championed another cause after the murder of a friend and his two business associates. A lynching in Memphis infuriated Wells and led her to begin an anti-lynching campaign in 1892. What happened was three African-American men, Tom Moss, Calvin McDowell, and Will Stewart, set up a grocery store. Their new business drew customers away from a white-owned store in the neighborhood, and the white store owners and his supporters clashed with the three men on a few occasions. One night, Moss and the others guarded their store against attack and ended up shooting several of the white vandals. They were arrested and brought to jail, but they didn't have a chance to defend themselves against the charges. A lynch mob took them from their cells and murdered them. This set Wells on fire, and she wrote newspaper articles decrying the lynching of her friend and the wrongful deaths of other African Americans. Putting her own life at risk, she spent two months traveling in the South, gathering information on other lynching incidents. One editorial seemed to push some of the city's white people over the edge and a mob stormed the office of her newspaper, destroying all of her equipment. Fortunately, Wells had been traveling to New York City at the time. She was warned that she would be killed if she ever returned to Memphis. Staying in the North, Wells wrote an in-depth report on lynchings in America for the New York Age an African-American newspaper run by former enslaved people. In 1898, Wells brought her anti-lynching campaign to the White House, leading a protest in Washington, D.C., and calling for President William McKinley to make reforms. Wells established several civil rights organizations, In 1896, she formed the National Association of Colored Women. She was also a founding member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. This was formed after a brutal assault on the African community in Springfield, Illinois. But Wells later cut her ties with the organization, explaining that she felt the organization in its infancy at the time she left lacked action-based initiatives. Working on behalf of all women, as part of her work with the National Equal Rights League, Wells called 
for President Woodrow Wilson to put an end to discriminatory hiring practices for government jobs. Oh, man. Good luck with that. There was never any president as prejudiced as Woodrow Wilson. Wells also created the first African-American kindergarten in her community and fought for women's suffrage. In 1930, she made an unsuccessful bid for the Illinois State Senate, and she died of kidney disease on March the 25th, 1931, at the age of 68 in Chicago, Illinois. Ida B. Wells, a hero for the cause. She left behind an impressive legacy of social and political endeavors. With her writing speeches and protests, Wells fought against prejudice no matter what potential dangers she faced. Rest in peace, Ida B. Wells. You fought a great fight, and we will be forever grateful. Well, my friends, you know what that music means. It is that time, and I leave you with this thought. Great minds discuss ideals. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor. <laughs>